Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? (laughs) Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 20. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, And in this episode, I'll be performing four spine-chilling tales for you. About grotesque growth, outdoor oddities, curious cryptids, and inhuman horrors. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com 
and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight comes to us courtesy of author N.M. Brown and begs the question, just how far would you go for perfection? Without further ado, I present to you Body Changes. My wife Vicky means more to me than my own life. I've consulted doctors after hours, anonymous clinical helplines, and even a suicide hotline, for Christ's sake. The only course of action that I have left is to release her into professional medical care. As weak as it makes me sound, I just know that once I do that, I'll never see my wife again. I'm overly long-winded, and even more so when I'm upset about something, so bear with me. The day started like many others, with the rough sound of wood grinding against the wood drilling through my subconscious like a boring bit, rudely arousing me uh, from my sleep. All right, honey, I mumbled to Vicky, who I knew was pretending to be asleep so I'd get the baby. Devin's awake now. I opened my eyes and stared at Devin, who had managed to scoot his crib across the entire floor to my bedside. Stay here and watch him so I can go pee. If you don't let me pee by choice, it'll happen on its own anyway, causing Mommy to be in a very, very bad mood today. Vicky grumbled through sleep-swollen lips as she threw the covers off herself and rose to her feet. She kissed the top of my head and handed me some dehydrated banana slices to keep Devin busy as she rushed to the master bathroom. Our puppy, Jet, was clawing on the outside of the second bathroom door, desperate to drain her own bladder. Hang on, pup, I held out, letting her know I was aware that she's awake and had to go outside. Devin was out of his crib completely by now. I could hear his little feet padding around the kitchen. My temples pounded as I heard giggles scatter throughout the rooms around me. Looking back now... I honestly didn't know why I was surprised. It's been like this almost every morning since my baby learned how to walk. Seconds after Vicky stepped out of the bathroom, her face scrunched up in anger and disgust. What happened? I asked, looking down at her feet. Her middle toes were surrounded by a smeary wet blob on our bedroom carpet. Ugh! Oh my God, it's so squishy. The viscosity of it all makes me want to puke, she lamented. Surveying the scene, I discovered she'd stepped in two of many pieces of discarded banana slices. After placing Devon behind the baby gate in the living room, Vicky limped to the laundry hallway in search of a dirty towel to clean her foot with. I stifled laughter through my palm as I took care of my own bathroom needs. I freeze midstream as I hear a dreaded sound of something scattering across the living room floor. 
To my dismay, in the moments it had taken my wife to cross the house, Devon had found the can of Pringles I had neglected to put away the night before. By the time I entered the living room, Vicky's hands were resting atop her head in defeat as both puppy and toddler voraciously smashed and ate at the tiny pieces of chips. Great. Clumsily vaulting over the baby gate, Vicky grabbed the broom and started sweeping up the mess. I can get that, babe, I commented, attempting to grab the broom from her. Jet and Devon both swatted at the broom conspiratorially. One more feat on their eternal quest to thwart the ever-ongoing cleaning process. No, that's okay. She smiled, taking a breath of victory as the last of the contained pile was up off the floor and out of their reach in the dustpan. You have to finish packing. She lightly scolded. Just as one issue was dealt with, another arose. Our eldest son, Charlie, called out from his bedroom that he needed help logging in to his school conference on his computer. Relax, I say to Vicky as I kiss her cheek. I'll take care of it. I barely have anything left to pack anyway. I'm sorry they're so crazy today. I murmured through an awkward smile as I gestured to the two smallest members of our family. Charlie, almost fully situated with his laptop, uh, when I hear a shrill cry come from the kitchen area, I bounded out of his room to see her feet twist around each other as she futilely tried to attain balance. I started running for her, knowing full well I wouldn't reach her in time. The dustpan flies from her hand as she hits the floor with a hard thwack. Fucking gate! I exclaimed. Jesus Christ, are you all right? As my wife lays there, waiting for the pain to kick in, our dog, Jet, tentatively makes her way through the broken section of the fence. The slightest smile formed at the corners of Vicky's lips, as if, well, she was allowing herself the tiniest bit of comfort in the situation at Jet's presence. She was probably assuming the dog was coming over to check on her. Hey, girl, she mumbles. Jeff sniffs her face for a moment in response, before proceeding to climb over it to devour the Pringle bits scattered on the floor. Great. The first thing I did after making sure that she was okay was chuck the baby gate out in the yard as far as I could throw it. I continued to check on her intermittently, but shock and adrenaline seemed to carry her through the rest of the day with little to no pain. She said her body felt stiff, sure, but that was about the extent of it. What we woke up to the next morning was a whole different story. Fucking hell, I exclaimed. The covers were pulled from our feet as I swung my legs over the bed to get my bearings for the morning. Vicky's left foot was swollen and covered by a deep crimson bruise. Her pinky toe was slightly misshapen and set in a different direction than before. She began wincing audibly even before my fingers came in contact with the toe beside it. The end was scuffed and scabbed over, but so far it looked like the pinky toe was the only one broken. I was beyond horrified when the toenail separated at only the slightest touch. I imagine it must have hurt like a son of a bitch. A gelatinous film of where old blood melded with new was visible from underneath the nail. 
It wriggled against my fingertip, and I just knew the main thing holding it in place were her green nail polish and a sliver of skin with nerves attached. Mind you, I can't handle all that shit. The scenes in the scary movies where someone's nail comes off as they grasp the wall for safety as they're abducted? Yeah, I can't even do it. Not to mention the pain. I'm sure it already hurt like hell as it was. It wasn't likely that yanking the rest of it out would feel any better. Are you sure I should go? I asked worriedly. I don't feel right leaving you here injured with two kids. I'll be in the woods a lot, and the service is shitty out there. Can you even walk? We only had a limited window of time before the baby woke up, and I had to leave. So, with gritted teeth, we swung both legs over the edge of the bed, placed both feet on the floor, and limped to the bathroom. I think I'll be okay. She called out in the friendliest voice she could manage. A random car horn blared outside, followed very shortly by Devon's shrill cries. God damn it! she exclaimed. I love you. I'll miss you. Call me when you can, okay? She blurts dismissively before planting a passionate kiss on my lips. She means well. Just gets stressed easily. I'm sure the business trip I was about to leave for didn't help either. But I was up against another guy, Mark, for a promotion. He wasn't able to make it due to family obligations. The joy on my boss's face, as I assured him I'd be there, cemented my lingering suspicions. If I did go, I knew I'd look a hell of a lot better for the job than Mark would. It's just the way things were. I needed a leg up. I deserved that position. Vicky understood and was grateful for the opportunity for a higher paycheck. The drive was shorter than expected. I won't bore you with the details. After all, that's not why we're here. We're here because of the text messages and voicemails I received throughout the weekend. As was mentioned previously, leaving her over a hundred miles away with an injury was a little more disconcerting due to the fact that reception was rumored to be a joke where I was. That's why that location was picked. Minimal distractions. I had a two-mile window of service on the way to the terminal, where I was able to check my messages. They began flooding my phone in a symphony of pings. Voicemail, 9.58 a.m. Hey, honey, missed you. Your mom just came to pick up the kids, thank God. So I, I ran some warm water in the tub, poured in some Epsom salt and bubble bath, and stepped right in. I was hoping that swishing my foot around enough would help the damaged nail uh, fall off on its own. The water took on the slightest tinge of pink after I placed my foot under the faucet. Pain seared through my leg like a lightning bolt. It was awful. Sadly, the only thing washing my feet accomplished was to piss me off. Also, did you know that warm water increases blading? A not-so-helpful tidbit after the fact, Chris. After folding a paper towel into forts and grabbing my peroxide, I was ready to get it over with. I remember wishing my dad was there. You remember the deal, right? You'd have a loose tooth and your dad would tie a string around it, attach the other end to a cabinet or doorknob or something, and then slam it. 
He told you about it at least a hundred times. It's much more anticlimactic than it sounds, but yeah, I really wish the same rules of physics could be applied to a friggin' nail. Anyway, I bit down on a washcloth like I'd seen people do in old war movies, perched my still dampened foot on the ledge of the sink, and grabbed hold of the nail. The paper towel was too slick against the fresh flow of blood to get a decent grip, or maybe that's just the excuse I gave myself, to avoid intensifying the pain. I'm going to leave it be for a while and try it again later. Wish you were here. 11.17 a.m. My foot slipped off the lip of the damn vanity. It hit the knob to the door on the way down. Swirls of red, black, and white consumed my vision as I swore into the cloth in my mouth. Cotton fibers against my tongue threatened to gag me as I bit down after the last K sound of a freshly uttered fuck. 12.02 p.m. I found a small, bloodied nub of nail lying dejectedly on the floor. One way or another, I got the fucker, right, babe? 5.38 p.m. Weird. So where there was once blood, mar, and damaged tissue, now sits a perfect nail. Here, I'll send you a video. Moments later, a four-second-long video clip appeared in my inbox. Four lime-green painted toes wiggled effortlessly, with a perfect but unpainted one dancing along with them. 5.42 p.m. Okay, Chris, there are two options here. One, the replacement nail grew crazy fast all day, which was more like six or so hours in the damaged one's place. Or two, uh, I've gained access to unexplainable regenerative powers. Admittedly, I just looked at my screen dumbstruck. What the hell could I say to something like that? My eyes scanned her words repeatedly, desperate for any signs of levity or humor. There were none. She was dead serious. I'm writing this today because, as terrible and ludicrous as it may seem, my wife believed that she had in fact been granted with miraculous regeneration. Chop it off and it'll grow back like new, assuming she survives the initial pain and bleeding. Sunday, 8.32 a.m. So, don't freak out, but I've been running some tests. I started small at first with the tip of my thumb, but it escalated. Everyone has little things they don't like about themselves. Hey, what about my chickenpox scars? Back when my wife was a child in the early 90s, there were no chickenpox vaccines. You got it, stayed in bed, and were told not to scratch, till you got over it. Vicky was no exception. Only her scars from having them were more visible than most. She had the cutest little bangs and had gotten a fresh round of hives just where the ends made her forehead and eyebrows. The more my mother-in-law got onto her for scratching, the harder she would do it. This resulted in two pockmarked scars buried directly in the middle of Vicky's forehead, one directly above the other, in between her eyes in a straight line. The reason I made you sit through that anecdote is because that's where she said she would cut next. 
Another voicemail from Vicky said that she was convinced if she cut the small sliver of flesh from her forehead, the scars would be out of her life forever. After 33 years of painstakingly staring at them in the mirror, she said it would be a dream come true. A crippling wave of panic and self-doubt must have overwhelmed her the moment she finished filleting the tarp part of her face because a flurry of messages followed in rapid-fire succession. Sunday, 9.49 a.m. Christ, Chris! What if it doesn't grow back? Did I really let slight discomfort make me replace two small marks with a gaping square? How the hell would I explain the new scar? I think I'm going to take something. Okay, more than one thing for anxiety. Lie down and anxiously await tomorrow. My forehead's on fire. Seems like it'll be almost impossible to fall asleep, but somehow I'll, I'll manage. Sunday, 1.18 p.m. I woke up with no pain. It must have worked. Peeling the blood-crusted gauze away and washing my skin revealed a smooth patch of peach flesh underneath. The marks are gone, along with any traces of my self-surgery. I feel incredible. Sunday, 2.45 p.m. I'm going to try my lips next. You have no idea how badly I've wanted fuller lips. Sadly, it doesn't work that way, though. Sunday, 3.14 a.m. It gives you exactly what you should have had before. No enlargements. In the end, I was just so happy to have them back that I didn't care what size they were. The stakes feel higher and higher each time I, I try something new, but I just can't stop. I'm writing to you all because my plane leaves in less than half an hour, and she says I'm ready to get serious. No more selfish cosmetic crap. For whatever reason, as much as I still doubt it, it appears my wife is being given a gift, and she's ready to truly test its limits. A few years back, she started suffering from terrible back problems. For a while, I thought something went wrong with her epidural when Devon was born. A visit to a surgeon revealed that to be untrue. There's been a mass slowly forming on the upper middle part of my wife's back. I remembered the cold, confusing weeks that followed as she pushed me away to protect me from her damaged fate. As much as it sounds necessary, my insurance wouldn't cover surgery until her condition ceases mobility completely, deeming it a life-saving procedure. By then, there would be a good chance that too much damage would have already been done. My Uber dropped me off at the house. Though I'd only been gone for three days, the entire aura of our home seemed different, darker. As much as I felt the overwhelming need to rush through the door to check on her, part of me was terrified at what I might find. We didn't have much time to figure this out before Mom brought the kids back home. I almost wanted to call her and tell her not to even bring them, but then I'd have to explain why and what was going on. These were questions I wasn't quite prepared to answer. The smooth but soul-crushing sound of heartache rang through the house. Vicky was playing one of her mother's old Tammy Wynette albums. Our home was clean for the most part, 
I'd expected blood and discarded body parts to be strewn about the apartment. My wife's humming grew louder along with my heartbeat as she turned the corner. She was beautiful. I was so relieved to come home to the woman I married that I instantly picked her up and twirled her around. We kissed several times before setting her back down again. I held her tight in my arms, chuckling with the joy of relief. Then I looked in the living room mirror. Her, her face separated from my shoulder, leaving strings of pus and blood in its wake. My wife's forehead was slick with infection. Sinew and muscle tissue gleamed against the living room light. I could see every bit of visceral damage done to my wife's face. Shoving her away, I looked at my shoulder, and there was nothing. Where the mirror showed a disgusting stain of fluids was crisp cotton to my naked eye. I've moved most of the mirrors, covering the ones too heavy for travel. Sheets adorn our windows, keeping our children from their normal sunlit play. I play with them outside a lot, and it doesn't seem to be a problem, as long as they don't catch a reflection in the car windows. I have no idea if I'm losing it, or if there really is something fundamentally wrong with her. She's begging me to help with her back, to free her from a life of pain and torment. I wonder if this has ever happened to anyone else. After all, YouTube and the Internet can teach someone to do just about anything. I'm scared that if I don't agree to this, she's ready to do this herself before most of her spine is affected. What should I do? Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. 
we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Body Changes, as written by N.M. Brown and performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, courtesy of author Brandon Wills, in which we'll venture into the great outdoors where a group of friends are planning to have the time of their lives, but where someone, or something else, has entirely different plans. Without further ado, I present to you Nightmare. It was a cloudless, sapphire-blue sky that day. We had the camping trip planned for a month, and it took even longer than that for us to coordinate our vacations so that we could all be there together. It was a reunion I'd dreamed of for so long. In high school, we were inseparable. Our weekends consisted of booze and easy girls. After college and getting married, my weekends consisted of sitting at home drinking alone, and maybe a date with the wife. Exciting stuff, right? Well, that's how it was for years, until the camping trip. These days, I spend a lot of time with my therapist, and a lot more time dwelling on what I could have done to prevent all of this. Survivor's guilt's a bitch. I'm writing down this sad, horrible story in hopes that maybe if I tell it, then I won't feel so crazy, and that hopefully it'll relieve the guilt. I spoke to Ron, and he wanted a carpool in his new SUV. It's the newest and greatest, or at least that's what the salesman said to me. He laughed. It has a different mode for sand, snow, mud, and rain. So if we're stuck in a desert covered in snow and mud, and a downpour starts, then we'll all be set. He could always make me laugh. That sharp wit of his hadn't dulled in the 12 years since high school. Ron wasn't the most athletic guy, but could slay a room with his humor. We'd grown up next door to each other from the time we were born until that painful time of leaving home, bound for different colleges. Ron was off to major in business while I was going to major in accounting. Thanks to him... I was the smartest jock in school, and I have to thank him for my career now. The trip to the camping spot in northeast Oregon was going to be a five-hour trip for us, so I told him we would switch halfway. <laughs> no way, man. You were always driving me around in that chick magnet charger in high school. I owe you at least 600 hours of chauffeuring. All right, Ron, whatever you say, just don't kill us. I didn't want to tell you this, but your wife told me she was sick of your shit and she'd split the life insurance if I killed you out there. Yeah, okay, Ron, like she'd ever talk to a lowly nerd like you. Didn't I tell you about the affair? It was like that for the entire five-hour drive, him tossing one snide joke after another. I could have done that for the rest of my life and been happy. God, it's so painful to think about. I'll cherish that trip for the rest of my life. The cabin and the property belonged to Andrew and his family. 
The property itself was 50 acres and was situated nicely by a beautiful lake. If you're thinking, damn, they must be rich, you're correct. Andrew rolled up in his new Ford Raptor, which I was convinced he had bought for this occasion, just because he could. Sup, guys? Long time. No see. He greeted Ron and me as he lugged two rifle bags from his truck. Got these babies on special back in town. Thought maybe we'd shoot a deer and have some fresh meat for the weekend. I laughed. You gonna dress it yourself? I'm not, nor do I know how. The only thing Andrew knows how to dress is himself. Ron quipped. I see you haven't changed, Andrew said, laughing. He went inside and hung his rifles on a gun rack mounted in the living room. We chilled on his super comfortable couches and watched TV until the others arrived. Howard and Mark showed up about an hour later. They said a wreck had postponed them. Ron laughed and said, Luckily, the wreck didn't postpone our drinking. Horning at the four empty beer cans that sat beside each of us. Dusk approached after we drank a few more beers. I remember the sky being painted the perfect shades of orange and yellow with a hint of purple. Lying back in a pretty comfy desk chair by the lake as the sun sank below the mountains was the most relaxing time I had in years. No worries about life, work, or anything else. I'd give anything to go back. As I was basking in the beauty of the sunset, Mark came strolling through the French doors, fishing rods in hand. Anybody down for some fishing? He had a grin spreading across his face. Fishing was always Mark's favorite hobby, and he was remarkably lucky at Somehow, someway, he always managed to catch more fish than any of us. I thought about it, agreed to come along, and so did everybody else. We fished for the rest of the evening. It felt as if every ten minutes, Mark was reeling in another one. I just sat there tossing back beers, because I always have shit luck with fishing. On the far end of the lake, I saw a couple of deer wandering around, not even seeming to care about us. I considered the idea of going hunting the next day, like Andrew asked, but that never happened. At some point that night, old age set in, and we decided it was time to turn in for the night. Ron, Mark, Andrew, and I watched old wrestling matches until we fell asleep one by one. Howard being the one who always caved in first, was in bed before we were done fishing. In the old days, he would have woken up with some Picasso-level drawings on his face. The next morning, we grabbed all our camping gear and hiked up to the mountainside to this spot that Andrew suggested. I came up here a few days after we made the plans and cleared this nice spot that the family used years ago. It's fantastic. Lots of tree cover to shelter us from the rain. A direct view of the lake, and it's not very far from the cabin. The weather that night was predicted to be perfect by the local meteorologist. Look out, folks. Tonight will be clear skies for good times on this balmy mid-July day. Today's high is 92, expected to drop to 79 by dusk. 
We worked together with setting up all the tents and getting the fire rolling in a nice little pit that Andrew's family had made. I saw Andrew standing by the entrance of a trail, looking around as if inspecting it. What do you guys think of a hike? The path looks like it's still in decent shape, Andrew said as he inspected it from below. Well, I brought a machete just in case we came across some thick hedges that needed clearing, or some sexually aroused camp counselors, Ron joked. Calm down, Voorhees. There aren't any of those here. Oh, just sexually deprived early thirties men with receding hairlines. Howard retorted, Speak for yourself, but I still have a full head of luscious hair and luscious babes at my disposal. Andrew teased as he combed his long black hair with his fingers. Hair plugs and inflatable dolls. Now let's get on to this hike. Ron said as he walked by Andrew as we all died laughing. He drew the machete from his hip and marched ahead, acting like an English explorer cutting through the Congo. I wish I had thought about this trail when I was up here before. Andrew said to himself, The trail wasn't terrible. We only had to pause a few times to cut through overgrown foliage, and there was a part that had washed down the hillside that we had to navigate carefully. We reached the top after about an hour, and I will admit that I was pouring sweat by then. The other guys were in about the same shape as me, except Ron, who looked to be on the verge of death, and Andrew, who stayed fit over the years. At the top of the mountain, there was a large stone formation that appeared to be an altar with a stack of stones in the center measuring to be about 12 feet high. My parents said the realtor told them this was built by the Nez Pierce and was used to make offering to the gods. Not blood or human sacrifices, but probably baskets of food and such. Andrew educated us. Uh-huh. I responded out of breath. The other guys were chugging water or looking for shade. If that's true, then this would be protected or something. We rested at the mountaintop for a while, and we made phone calls, texts, social media updates, etc., as this was the only place that had cell service. After a long, much-needed break, we made our way back down the path. About halfway down, Mark started yelling that he saw a bear. I swear to God, Andrew, it was right there in the clearing. It walked behind those pines. You're losing it, Mark. I've never seen a black bear around here. Andrew replied to him. Doesn't mean they aren't here. I don't want to be a bear's lunch. Can we just wait to see if it shows again? Sure, man. Whatever makes you feel better. Andrew said, Maybe I should have brought one of those rifles from the cabin. That would have been nice, Andrew, said Mark, who was very distraught by then. He was visibly shaking and had a terrified look on his face. It took him about half an hour to calm down enough for us to continue back down to the campsite. Once we got there, we were shocked. Andrew and Howard's tents were torn to shreds. All of our possessions were scattered around the campsite, and some were even in the woods. Pissed off and tired, we cleaned up the mess. It was dark by the time that was finished. 
and we decided that it wasn't safe to trek back down the mountain to the cabin. My tent had enough room for two people, so I told Howard he could share mine. Mark said that he had to take a piss while we were cleaning, and after we were done, he still wasn't back. Maybe you got the runs, suggested Ron. No, I don't think that's it. Something feels wrong, I said. Let's go find him. Man, after all this walking, I can't believe we gotta go babysit Mark now. Ron scoffed. We searched through the trees and brush for what felt like hours with flashlights, but we couldn't find him. He never responded to our calls, and we never found a trace of him. The only things we found were some old tire tracks on a narrow path and heard an ATV in the distance, which wasn't uncommon in the area, so I didn't think much of it. On our way back to the camp, most of us were a mixture of aggravated or worried. Mark wasn't one to pull pranks like that. Not even Ron would take it that far. Ron seemed to be especially annoyed. He ran it the whole way back. Just outside the campsite, Ron was in the midst of a fiery spiel. Son of a bitch. He better not... He hit the ground with a thud and didn't move. It took my brain a few seconds to notice the arrow sticking out of his right eye. Oh, shit. What the fuck? I remembered yelling. My fight-or-flight instincts kicked in and I ran for my tent and dove in. I could hear Howard howling outside the tent. My instincts told me to stay inside and not move, but I had to check on my friend. Throwing my instincts aside, I peeped outside and saw him on the ground near where Ron died, grabbing at an arrow in his right thigh. He was lying on his back, screaming, when a gun fired and erased half of his face. The other guys were still scrambling around outside, when that happened, we froze in our positions for a few seconds. Then everybody scattered. That was the last time we were all together, alive. That's one of the hardest parts of the story. The last memory of them is of us scattering in a frenzy. In my panic, I forgot my flashlight, and the path I ran down blended in with the forest in the darkness. In the dark, I thought I found the right path to the cabin, but I found myself stumbling around the woods when another gunshot exploded into the quiet night. Then another. I picked up my pace, trying to duck behind trees whenever I could. The realization dawned on me that I had been walking much longer than it should have taken to get to the cabin. I was lost. A hand clasped on my shoulder. I spun around and swung. Luckily, I missed. Andrew stood there putting his hand over my mouth. Quiet. Follow me. I did. He led us through some trees down to the lake. We'll follow the lake back to the cabin. You can't see it in the fog, but it's over that way, he said, pointing. A bullet whizzed through the air, barely missing Andrew. It came from the cabin. Go back that way, Andrew said as he took off, running past me. He ran a few feet before I heard a loud snapping sound. A wooden spike was jammed into his ankle, wrapped with a homemade trap that looked like a small cage. 
In his anguish, he tried prying it off with his fingers, but it didn't budge. Oh, fuck! Oh, God! I grabbed a sturdy-looking stick and tried to pry it open, but the stick snapped, not even slightly budging the trap. Another shot rang out. Andrew flew backward, the back of his head gone. I ran back into the trees, having nowhere else to go. For a while, I was using my phone's flashlight, but that drained the battery in no time. It's difficult to put into words how terrifying it is to be lost in the woods at night, with no light source and nothing to protect yourself. Every tree looks the same. Every rock looks the same. Everything looks the same. I didn't know how long I stumbled around before I finally came across a small cabin. There was a large bonfire roaring in the front with what appears to be random junk to fuel it. I was starving, dehydrated, and praying for a working phone inside because I still had no cell service on my phone that was dying. The place had to come before it was too late. Inside the cabin, I found the most disturbing menagerie of various types of skulls, bones, and taxidermy I'd ever seen. I recall seeing dozens of skulls sitting in various places in the cabin, on tables, shelves mounted on the walls, on top of the refrigerator and cabinets. Some of those skulls were human. The place had an odd smell, a mix of must and rotting meat. Thinking about those skulls still sends chills down my spine. Somehow, I, I didn't think I would find a phone in there. I backed out, overwhelmed by the macabre scene. Part of me considered running down the path next to the cabin, thinking maybe it went to town. I was about to leave when I heard an ATV roaring up the mountainside, heading toward my direction. Running back in the cabin, I hid in the space behind the couch and a wall. There wasn't enough time in no other direction for me to run and not be caught. The ATV slammed to a stop at the cabin. I heard a man mumbling to himself, almost yelling, in gibberish. The fire hissed after he struggled with something heavy and threw it on. I half considered trying to sneak by the man while he did whatever he was doing, but I was too scared to move. From where I was hiding, I could look out the tiny front window that faced the fire. I saw the man for the first time. He was a huge man, probably close to seven feet tall, if not that. He was dragging something toward the fire. It was a body. He was putting bodies in the fire. The fire hissed again as he tossed another into it. There were two more bodies on the back of the ATV. When the reality hit me, it instantly sent me into shock. So many memories came flooding back. So much laughter and good times. So many times of my life that I will never get to relive. The bodies were my friends. He was burning my murdered friends. What could I do? How could I intervene and stop him before he burned them all? The shock kept me frozen for a while. I watched as he carried another body to the fire. The flames hissed again as he picked it up and tossed it in. 
The hunter, man, whatever he was, stood back admiring his work. His arms went up in the air and he began chanting, O dark one, please accept these sacrifices. I've gone through many trials and tribulations to bring you what you wanted. I brought you flesh and blood. I brought you their clothes. I brought you their food. Please, O dark one, please hear my voice. He waited a few moments, and after no response, he started yelling, Oh, dark one, please, hear me. I want my wife back. I'll do anything, anything you want, anything. When I came to my senses, I looked around the cabin, waiting for anything that would help me fight this psycho. My first thought was kitchen knives. With the grace of a cat, I ran toward the kitchen took a few guesses to find the right drawer, and I grabbed the biggest knife in there. On my way out, I found something hanging on the wall that was calling my name. It was a homemade double-bladed machete, the thing shaped like a Y, and the blade separated by hand. I put the kitchen knife down and yanked it off the nail that it was hanging from. Exploding out the front door, I yelled, Hey, fuckface, what are you doing with my friends? His head turned like a startled deer. Huh? Was all he managed. I rushed at him with what remained of my offensive tackle skills. He flew off his feet, flat in his back. He lay winded on the ground as I slashed the machete at his face. I missed my original target of his eyes, but I managed to take off an ear part of his cheek. You're dead, fucker. Bam. I felt a pain scorching up my side. And for a second, I thought I'd landed in the fire. I touched the area and pulled back blood. The madman hunter laughed. Blood was pouring down the side of his face, as he said. I wondered where you went to. Perfect. She told me she needs you. She needs fresh ones. Fresh blood. Fresh, tasty, delicious blood. The machete was close to me. I picked it up and slashed at his chest. But this time he jumped back. He started swaying on his feet, almost losing his balance. I saw my chance. I rushed at him again, this time sending him straight into the fire. He screamed the most pained, anguished sound I've ever heard, and I don't feel bad about it. A bastard could fry for all I cared. The area was reeking of burning flesh and hair, and I hadn't realized it until the adrenaline started dying off. I was trying to not vomit as I ran over to the ATV. To my dismay, I saw that all their bodies were in the fire. After I pushed the man into the fire, I looked at it as I got on the ATV. In the flames, I saw a black shape forming. At first, it was a shapeless mass, but it began taking shape into a grinning, menacing face. Dirt and rocks flew as I turned the ATV around and back down the path. I wasn't wasting time. It's cliche to say you're running from the devil, but that's really how it felt. The hairs on my neck stood on end until I reached the end of the path. It came out near the bottom of the road that leads to the cabin. I rushed up to the cabin and saw that the front doors were wide open. 
I rushed in, hoping that those bodies I saw at the fire were of some other people, but nobody was there. The inside of the cabin was ransacked like the campsite. Clothes, electronics, DVDs were tossed all around the cabin like he was in a hurry. I went to Ron's room and found the keys lying on the dresser. On my way out, I noticed that one of Andrew's rifles was missing from the mount on the living room wall. I grabbed the remaining rifle, a box of ammo, and made a mad dash for Ron's SUV. A few minutes after I drove away from the cabin, reality started setting in. My friends were dead, and I had somehow survived. Then I remembered the blood. The flow had seemed to stop, but my entire side was drenched, and I was starting to feel lightheaded. I burst into tears, barely able to see the road. I was afraid to pull over in fear that the hunter or that face would find me. Thankful that I made it to town alive. The police station was easy to find. I stumbled in, and all that I remember saying was, My friends are dead, and blacked out. When I came out of the haze of unconsciousness, I was in a hospital bed alone. I looked around, hoping to find one of my friends, but nobody was there. I felt the momentary hope that it was all a horrible dream and that maybe I had suffered a head injury from a car accident. Anything but the terrible truth. The button to summon a nurse was attached to the arm of my bed. She came in looking relieved, checked my vitals, and then called for the police. They interviewed me and I told them everything, minus the demon face and the fire. They eventually told me I wasn't under arrest. After I was discharged two days later, they escorted me to the cabin to retrieve my things. They said they never found the hunter, but did find my friend's bodies, and they said escorting me was for my own safety. I thought about that on my way to the cabin. Did I tackle him directly into the fire? How did he survive that? To this day, the murders remain unsolved, the hunter, as far as anyone knows, has not reemerged. I still have nightmares about the hunter attacking us, about seeing their bodies and their charred remains inside the fire. The vivid sounds, the smells, the pain, it's all we lived every night. There have been two other things that have been haunting me as well, and it's in the literal sense. It's not my friends or the hunter, but the face. That black, shapeless face in the fire. I see it in random places. I see it in mirrors, windows, and TV screens. I see it in my cell phone screen. In anything reflective. The face is always stretched in a wide, nightmarish grin. The face from the fire isn't all I see. Accompanying the face is a woman dressed in a long, white nightgown, and her skin a dull, putrid gray. She's also smiling, always smiling. It's the woman that torments me, mocking me with that smile and that insidious laugh. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. 
when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I hope you enjoyed Nightmare by author Brandon Wills, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs>
and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>you know and trust is now Angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish so remember Angie's list is now Angie and we're here to get your job done right get started at Angie.com that's A-N-G-I or download the app today Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.